welcome to the True Tabernacle podcast channel. We hope that you find encouragement and inspiration during one of our sermons, discussions, or interviews. For more information regarding our faith community, connect with us on Facebook at our True Tabernacle page. And while you're at it, hit subscribe to this channel to stay connected. and Sister Heideball, obviously still out of town, so continue to keep them in your prayers, uh, and they're on their way back, and for whatever remains of their trip. Um, also, whenever you see Pastor, just continue to give them a pat on the back, because we're doing a lot of new tech stuff, and a lot of computer, internet required things, and he does not love the internet, but he is doing it for you guys, so... Make sure you give him a pat on the back. Uh, which also leads me to my little third thing for my intro here is that if you see something from Truth Tabernacle on Facebook, YouTube, make sure you share it. Get the word out. It reaches people. We've reached several people with live streams. So just continue to share that out. Uh, today, I've got a Christmas-themed message. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Verse 10 says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So my, I don't know if it's the title or if it's just a challenge, my challenge title is, What Does Jesus Want for Christmas? Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done, Lord. Another opportunity to come into your house. Another day on earth. We ask that you would bless this message. Sorry, you may be seated. <laughs> Amanda looked at me weird. <laughs> I couldn't remember why she was looking at me. All right, Christmas is upon us. Anybody excited about Christmas? All right, me too. I am a really big Christmas fan. Christmas is a widely celebrated holiday. I think they celebrate it all over the world or something very close to it. And to me, it is the undisputed champion of holidays. Uh, if you're like me, I like to downplay how much I love it. And I tell people that my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving or Easter. But I only do that so people don't think I'm greedy. <laughs> That's the only reason. I love Christmas. It's the best. And I'm going to tell you why. One you get more than one fancy meal. On Thanksgiving, you only get the one fancy meal. Easter, one fancy meal. 
Christmas, you could have Christmas Eve, Christmas breakfast, Christmas lunch, Christmas dinner, and that means leftovers. <laughs> leftovers are in abundance at Christmas. Uh, you also get more than one day off of work. Thanksgiving, you might get two days off of work. Max, Christmas, you get more than that. Hopefully, if not, you get overtime. Okay? Sorry if you don't get it off, but you do get paid extra. Christmas songs are another good thing about Christmas. They don't have Thanksgiving songs. Like, the only other holiday is maybe Easter. Those songs are pretty good. But Christmas has the best songs and the most songs. Okay? And then the last thing, the number one reason why Christmas is the best is presents. Okay? Sorry, I don't want to sound greedy, but they're the best. You get presents, and now when you're older, you get to get presents, which is still a present for you because you get to see people open your presents. And they, if they like it, that's great. Oh, presents are fun no matter how old you are. I'm sure everybody loves presents. Uh, and like I said, it's the one thing that is fun to give and to receive, one of the few things that, that are like that. So Christmas is the best, and it's even better when we keep everything in perspective, which is the reason for the season. Keeping that at the forefront makes Christmas even more awesome. So for many, the Christmas season is a time of giving, receiving, and a time to spend with family. And if they're not very religious, that's probably it. Uh, but everyone has their own special traditions that make the day and the build-up special. My favorite tradition, this is going to make me sound greedy, is trying to get my presents as early as possible. It is my favorite. I will beg and beg, and now Amanda has to hear it. I will beg her for presents early. Just one, just one. And then if she gives me one, I'm definitely going for another one. Okay? One of my early Christmas memories, parents are here, I was hoping my mom was going to stay downstairs for this one. Uh, one time, we were little, and we lived in North Carolina, and I tried to break into the Christmas presents. And by break into the Christmas presents and try, I did it. I accomplished the mission, I untaped them expertly, as any eight-year-old could. I used a butter knife. It worked great. Uh, the only problem was when I retaped them and then I flipped them over so no one would notice, I left the butter knife there. So the parents got suspicious. So got in a little trouble for that. But presents. With all the glitz and glamour of the holiday lights, the crazy shopping deals, the promise of a few days off work, it is easy to lose sight of what Christmas is all about and the real deal, the real reason for the season. Christmas is the day we celebrate the birth of Jesus, which is the best thing that ever happened. Yes, we're aware that Jesus might not have been born on December 25th. I always love teaching kids because they like to tell me that. They're like, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. And I'm like, I know. But we celebrate it anyways, right? Uh, it is a, we have a bunch of traditions. I don't know why I grabbed that. We have a bunch of traditions centered around giving and receiving. Uh, some people say that the traditions come from this guy named Nicholas of Mira, who you may know as Saint Nick. Nicholas 
is a kid who had a wealthy set of parents. His parents died early, and he decided that he was going to live his life for Jesus. It's a great story. Um, In the story of his life, he is told, he says, by Jesus that he should sell everything that he has, everything that he inherited, and he should give to the poor, which is not a bad thing. There's even a tradition on December 6th where you can leave your shoes out by the fireplace or the window, and St. Nick would come in and toss you some money or some presents. And allegedly, that's where Santa comes from. Comes from, okay, the St. Nicholas story. If I had known about St. Nicholas before, I would have for sure pushed that at the house. December 6th and December 25th, double presents. Would have done it. Uh, This is a very good story, um, but in my house, we didn't have St. Nicholas. We had Jesus on Christmas, all right? And we know the story of Christ's birth. This is the original Christmas. It is also full of giving and receiving. So let's take a look at this Christmas story and what it tells us about giving and receiving. So the first thing I want to look at is the supporting cast of the story, the people who are involved but are not named Jesus. And first, we have the Magi, a.k.a. The wise men. The wise men in the story are givers of gift. Givers of gifts. The story takes place in Matthew 2. I'm going to read verse 2 and 1 real quick. Verse 1 says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. So what are these magi, these wise men? They're scientists. Kind of is the best way I could describe it. Uh, they're in charge of doing all co- sorts of sciencey things, including reading the stars, astronomy, looking for signs that will tell them what will happen. And back then, they believed that there was a certain star that was symbolic and it would tell you when a king was born and when a king had died. So, back then, that's what they believed. So while they're studying the astronomy, they discovered this special star, the star of the kings. Uh, But they also relied on scripture, which I think is really cool. I don't know if science still does that, but they should. They took what science told them. They took the Old Testament scripture, and they figured out where the birth of this king would take place. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 4 Uh, through 6 is where this takes place. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So this is Herod doing the demanding. Verse 5 says, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So they took the science, they took the scriptures, they headed out, uh, and they didn't show up to Bethlehem empty-handed. When they made it to see the baby Jesus, they gave him three gifts, which I'm sure you're all aware of, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And each gift had a special significance in the life of a king and God. So the first one is gold, uh, and as you know, 
gold, very valuable. If you have gold, you keep it. If you don't have gold, you try to get it. It's valuable because it's rare, and it takes a lot of work to find it. It takes a lot of work to dig it out the ground. And back then, it took even more work to dig it out of the ground because they didn't have electricity and machines and fun stuff like that. So if you could get gold, it was a great thing. Not only is this a really cool gift for a baby, but it's also a gift that is fit for a king and is fit for God. Gold is used several times in the Bible. It's used in the tabernacle Moses built. It is used in Solomon's temple. Uh, and those are two places where God met with mankind. So gold is special enough for God. The second gift they gave was frankincense. According to some internet research, frankincense is dried tree sap of the Boswellia tree and the Comifora tree. According to the Bible, though, it is used in a grain offering that was supposed to accompany all the burnt offerings. And for that, we're going to travel to Leviticus 2, verse 1. And verse 1 says, And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon. So these grain offerings were used to show the people's thankfulness to God. Verse 4 describes that the grain offering was so special that it was the most holy of the offerings presented to the Lord and that the wise men were using their gift to say thank you to God for his goodness even on this first Christmas. Frankincense is another gift that is fit for a king and it is fit for God. That third gift is myrrh. Myrrh is very fun to say, but it is also the first ingredient of the ingredients that God gave Moses when he was creating his holy anointing oil. We're going to travel to Exodus 30 for that one. Verse 26 says, And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all his vessels, and the candlestick and his vessels, and the altar of incense. 28, And the altar of burnt offerings with all his vessels, and the laver and his foot, and thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy. Whatsoever toucheth, toucheth them shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. The myrrh was used to anoint only those things that God allowed to be anointed. And that is why it was holy. If you keep reading in Exodus, you get to verse 32. It lets you know that this oil was so special that it was off limits to people, and it could only be used with God's permission. And he told them, it is holy, and it shall be holy unto you. The three gifts of the wise men were all very nice, thoughtful gifts. They all had special significance. They were all part of something special, holy, and kingly. They were gifts fit for a king and fit for God. These early gift givings are a reminder to us that Jesus is not just another baby. He is God wrapped in flesh and deserving of all kingly gifts. Our second set of characters is the shepherds. 
In Luke, there's another scene where angels come to the shepherds. Uh, the first time they come is to Mary. Uh, but in this scene, they're coming to the shepherds. And I don't know if this is something I've heard. I don't know if it's true. Somebody can tell me afterwards. But I've heard growing up that the shepherds were a very lowly position in life. Okay, This is something that you didn't want to be. You were cast aside. You weren't really cool. You weren't high up on the social rung. Okay, They were smelly guys. They lived with their sheep most of the time. But... We can fact check that later. Someone can come tell me. In the first Christmas story, though, they are elevated just a little bit by God because they're one of the first to hear about the birth of Jesus. In Luke 2, verse 8, says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said unto one another, said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Even these potential outcasts, these lowly, insignificant shepherds, at the lowest part on the social ladder, they too receive a gift on this Christmas day, and they are included in the birth of Christ, the story of Christmas. Because Jesus is for everyone. Back then, he was for everyone, even the shepherds, and today, he's still for everyone now. Then our story takes us to Jesus the main event of Christmas, the most important part. The wise men brought really good gifts, but Jesus brought the more important gift to the party. Matthew 1.21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be born, shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a real good gift to me. Verse 21 lets us know we're saved from our sins because of this birth. Why is that so special? Before this moment, Christ, before the moment of Christ's birth, all we had was the law. The law to tell us what was bad. The, but the law could only tell us what was bad. It couldn't save us from any actual sin. It could just point out the sins that we are committing. Paul teaches us in Romans 7, verse 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, 
except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. If you keep reading on in Romans, Paul follows that up by expanding on the thought that through Jesus, we not only know what our sins are, but we have the chance, the opportunity to have those sins covered in the blood. We have a chance now for repentance and remission of sins. And when the sin is no longer standing between us and God, we have a chance at a personal relationship with him. Which means that we have a chance for salvation. The good news. That is only part of the gifts that Jesus brought to us with his birth. If he stopped there, that would have been a really good set of gifts. But Jesus always keeps going. What else did Jesus bring on that day? He brought us love. Might not sound super great, but the love came in God wrapping himself in flesh and being born in the first place. Okay? Romans 8, 37, 39. Nay, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God will always love you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No mess up, no addiction, nothing from the past, nothing from the present, and nothing you could do in the future. God can love you through it all. That is a gift. God's love is a gift. The second thing is hope. Because of the love of God, we always have the hope of salvation. He was born to lay down his life as the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we could have a shot at that salvation. He hoped that we would receive that love and would repent of our sins, be baptized in his name, and receive his spirit in our lives. As long as you have breath in your body, you have a chance to get right with God. At any time, you could turn anything around and get right with God. And that is the best definition of the word hope that I can give to you. Even after those two awesome gifts of love and hope, if you have the Holy Ghost, there's still more gifts. The gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit are two. 1 Corinthians 12 lists the gifts of the Spirit that God can give to anyone as the gift of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirit, diverse kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. And I don't know about you, but I would love some of that right now. This is something that we need to pray for and strive for every day is for some gifts from God. Galatians 6 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit, tells us that If you keep walking, you keep growing, you keep maturing in your walk with God, uh, you will get these fruit, you will get the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. All great gifts. This world needs more of both of those. If you haven't been paying attention, we could use a heavy dose of the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. Knowing all these things that God has given us, and be sure that I probably didn't even cover half, not even a small portion of everything he's given us. We could go around this room and share testimonies and last all night, probably last till Christmas if we wanted to. I want to wrap up with my original question, what does God want for Christmas? When you're growing up, Christmas is a holiday about receiving. You're getting new stuff from your family. It's not even things that you need all the time. Sometimes it's things that you want or you just like. As we get older, though, Christmas begins to change a little bit. It becomes about giving, which is also receiving, like I said earlier, because you get to give something that somebody wants. You get to sacrifice a little bit of time and money to see if you can find your friends and family a gift that will bring them just a little bit of happiness. And we need a little bit of happiness in 2020. If you're doing it right, you don't do it so that you can get a gift back. You do it so you can show your love for that person. Picking the right gift for someone can be a lot of pressure. Even if you know that person, it's sometimes hard. But I think we can find some help from an old Christmas story from 1905. I'm sure some of you have heard this story by O. Henry. It's called The Gift of the Magi, and it is a classic story, classic short story. And if you know me, I usually hate when people say the story is classic because it's not often classic. Classic has to be something that is relevant to everyone at every time. But O. Henry's Gift of the Magi is, fits this description. The story is about a married couple and their hunt for the perfect gift for their spouse after having a tough year, which I think we can all relate to. In the story, Della and her husband, Mr. James Dillingham Young, have faced some hardships and setbacks in life and in their finances. The story talks about how he had to have a pay cut. His weekly wages went from $30 down to $20, which doesn't sound like a lot to begin with, but if you take 30% of your income, it's even worse. She had to save and haggle, and she pinched every penny, and she talks about how the grocery store guy probably hates her now, but she did it all so she would have enough money to buy a Christmas gift for her husband. And all she had to show for it the day before Christmas is $1.87. She's worried that she won't be able to find a present for her husband uh, because she doesn't have any money. She's broke. So she decides that she is going to sell, get rid of, the most prized possession that she has, the, most, the thing that is most precious to her, it is her hair. So she goes, gets a haircut, sells her hair. Um, she's obviously not apostolic, but she sells her hair. She gets $20, which is not a lot of money, but that's a week's worth of wages for her hair. It talks about how long her hair is and how shiny it would make the Queen of England jealous, her hair. She takes the money she bought the money she got from her hair and she goes and she finds the perfect gift for her husband it's a chain for his pocket watch the pocket watch that had been passed down to him uh, throughout his family 
she gets home, she wraps it up, she tries to do her hair real nice, even though it's way shorter than it used to be. She worries that he'll be upset about the haircut, but she had to do what she had to do. He comes home, looks at her, and he has a look of shock on his face, and she's quickly worried that he is getting upset. So she begins to negotiate, I had to do it, I did it for this reason. She tells him, she gives him the gift, uh, but then the story has the twist. She gave up her most valuable possession so that he would have a gift for his most valuable possession, but then at the end you find out that he did the same thing. He had taken his pocket watch, sold it, so that he could buy her a set of combs for her precious, beautiful, long hair. And now, they cannot use either of these presents. Okay? So if you'll stand with me as we close, each of them had given up their best for the other. Each of them had sacrificed deeply so that the other would have a good Christmas. Each of them were willing to put the other person above themselves. So I ask again, what do you think God wants for Christmas? He's already given us the greatest Christmas present ever. His life, hope of salvation, a chance to not spend eternity in hell. There's honestly nothing that you can give him that would even come close to matching that. He's already given us everything, and he already owns everything. But I'd bet that he would be willing to have more of you. What are you willing to give God this year? 2020 has been hard. You've probably sacrificed a lot already. There's been a lot of setbacks and disappointments, but what can we give God at the end of this long year to set us up as we head into 2021? What can we do to build a stronger relationship with him? If you want to pray at your seat, you can. If not, these altars are open. I'll ask you again, what does God want for Christmas? Are we willing to give him more time? Are you maybe willing to wake up a little bit earlier to pray and read your Bible? Are you willing to talk to him more? Maybe it's something small like memorizing more scriptures, which is not small. Take a minute, talk to God. What will you give him for Christmas?